so many episodes we've had over the years on team leadership, and yet a lot has changed in the working world in the last few years. Many, if not most, teams now work in some kind of hybrid capacity. In this episode, what that means for leaders and some useful ways to approach the daily management of a hybrid team. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 570. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. The last few years have been a crash course for some of us, and certainly more experience for the rest of us on how to manage a hybrid team, a team that is sometimes co-located, sometimes virtual, and sometimes a little bit of both extremes, depending on what's happening with the pandemic, with the organization, and so much of the dynamic things that are happening in the world today. Today, we're going to take a look at some of the aspects of managing a hybrid team, how we can be a little bit more effective at it, and how we can look forward at a workplace that really has started to change on how we think about this. I am so glad to welcome back to the show today, Hassan Osman. He is a director at Cisco Systems, where he leads a team of project and program managers on delivering complex projects across the world. He's also served as a management consultant at Ernst & Young, where he led projects and programs for the largest enterprises. He's the author of several Amazon best-selling books about team management, two of which we featured on the show before. He recently released his most recent book, Hybrid Work Management, How to Manage a Hybrid Team in the New Workplace. Hassan, what a pleasure to have you back. Likewise, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about talking to you today. I hear your name every week, (laughs) sometimes a Uh couple of times a week. No, it's all good because so many people reach out to me and share how helpful one of your previous books was Effective Delegation of Authority. We featured it on the show a couple of years ago, and we have Academy members who have the notes posted for that or use that as the framework for their teams. Thanks for all the writing you do that just make it simple and clear and give us really, really helpful tools that make a lot of this complexity simple for managers. I so appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That means a lot, and I'm glad I can continue to add value. It's one of the things I love about your books. Uh, for those of you who haven't looked at Hassan's books before, they're they're very clear, they're simple, they're short, they have a lot of resources. You can usually read them in an hour or so. And it really gives you the what you need to know about moving forward, which is, you know, just the reality of management. A lot of us are are maxed out on so many of the things we're trying to do each day. And one of the things that's new for some of us and newer for a lot of us too is how to manage a hybrid team. And since you and I last talked on the podcast, the world has really changed a lot, <laughs> hasn't it, with COVID. And I thought maybe we'd start just looking at some of the stats of what we're hearing now from employees, from organizations about where people are thinking about hybrid work arrangements. What is out there right now? Yeah, I mean, the world, to your point, has changed dramatically, right? You know, everyone was forced to work remotely during COVID. And then uh, in the sort of post-pandemic phase, people thinking through that, everyone's now saying that the future of work is hybrid. And it truly is. I mean, every single survey out there kind of shows the data trending towards that direction. 
you see McKinsey highlighting the fact that nine out of 10 organizations will be combining remote and on-site working. And you also have you know, the Harvard Business Review looking at some surveys by questioning a lot of employers, employers and employees at 55% favor a mix of the home and office. Uh, right. So and, and you see those surveys pop up every now and then, and they are very consistent over time that uh, the benefits of both working on site and the benefits of working remotely can be combined in this new uh, model of working. I was thinking about one of the stats you cite in the book from The Atlantic that more than half of respondents said they'd ideally split their time between home and office. And only 19 percent are saying that you know, full-time remote work was their ideal setup, which is interesting. And we're that reflects a lot of the things I'm hearing anecdotally from our members and listeners as well, is that a lot of folks and organizations seem to be really looking at this, not from an extreme as much anymore of like, we're entirely in person or we're entirely remote, but how do we set up something that looks somewhere in between? And this sets up a interesting dynamic now that I know a lot of leaders are navigating, which is I now have employees who are in two different places, sometimes at different times, right? Some people are in person, some people are remote. And depending on the day of the week, the team, the organization, the client, that may look really dynamic. And yet it often kind of comes down to like these two different sets of people. We've got the people who are in person, either permanently or for today's meeting, whatever. And then we've got the people who are remote. And one of the invitations you make in the book is to avoid establishing what would be an unfair, what you call a two-tier system. Tell me about what you mean by that. Yeah. So a two-tier system is basically a system of having first-class versus second-class employees, right? Uh, And what that really means is that you might as a company inadvertently create two different employee experiences. Those who spend time in the office are and are more on site would be treated as first class. And those who spend more time remotely would be treated as second class and feel left out. And I do want to stress on the word inadvertently because this doesn't necessarily have to happen by design, right? So there's this theory called the propinquity effect, It's a theory developed by psychologists at MIT. And the idea behind it is that the more you interact with someone, the more you'll like them and become friends with them. So managers basically who get to see and interact with on-site employees a lot more might end up treating them differently because of that effect, right? So that's something that you want to make sure that hybrid leaders are super aware of. One of the other things you highlight is the importance of tracking and over-communicating when it comes to looking at this a two-tier system. Um, what's significant about that? Yeah. So one, one thing I do want to mention, Dave, before we, we get into the answer to that is as a leader of a hybrid team, the two words that you should focus on are inclusion and fairness, right? So I think that's sort of like an umbrella statement that applies to any hybrid team or hybrid work model. And avoiding a two-tier system is really important uh, as one component of that. And you know, by tracking and over-communicating, so, so managers who are on-site with their employees usually have more information than remote employees, right? So they have more information about what they're working on and so on and so forth. And the reason 
uh, behind that is isolationism, right? So you, you get work in a silo when you're remote and you wouldn't know how much of that work is being done. So as a manager of a hybrid team, one thing to be cognizant of is to put in the, that extra effort to keep track of what everyone is working on. And most importantly, to your point, over communicate with them to compensate for that, right? So to compensate for a lack of face-to-face -face interaction. And a simple way to do that is to frequently check in with your remote employees so that they feel as supported as their on-site peers. And I'll give you an example that I personally went through. So I've personally run into this with an employee a few years ago, where in my mind, she's a, she's a rock star, she's doing phenomenal work. And I kind of left her alone because I was giving her the space to fo focus on what she was focusing on and avoiding the impression of micromanagement. But then, you know, during one of our one-on-one -on -one discussions, she expressed that she felt like she was isolated and not as connected to what we were doing. And I realized later that the core reason behind that was that I wasn't frequently checking in or over communicating with her on her work, right? So sometimes in, in, in your mind as a manager and a leader, you want to give people space and not uh, appear like you're micromanaging, but at the same time, it could have the opposite effect where they feel isolated. So it's really important to over-communicate and be conscious about that in a, in a hybrid setting. When you think about your experience with her, did you find any kind of mental model or just framework for yourself where you were able to thread that needle a bit of being really present, over-communicating, but at the same time, not feeling like you were veering into the micromanagement kind of thing? Yeah, I think a good mental model would be to check in without any expectations about something specific. So if 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 it's a check-in saying, hey, what's the status of that project? That's different when you compare it with what can I do for you today? You know, what's what's top mm -hmm. of mind for you, right? So very, very simple, subtle ways of checking in. Uh, one could appear as probing or micromanaging, and the other is, hey, I'm here to help you if you need anything. So I think the way you position it and the way you over-communicate is really important. Another invitation you make in the book is one that in some firms might be a bit of a controversial invitation, which is focusing on a remote-first culture. What's the reason for that? And what's the benefit of thinking remote-first? First of all, let's define remote first. Remote first is defaulting to working remotely for all of your employees. So it's the strategy where tasks can be accomplished anywhere. And this is one of the ways in which we, you can create an equitable and fair environment, right? So we talked a little bit about inclusion and fairness. This is one way to make sure that you level the playing field between hybrid teams and your remote employees. And a couple of ways to accomplish that. One is by ensuring that on-site and remote employees can access the company's data and systems the same way. So there are systems sometimes at certain companies that can only be accessed if you're on-site, right? Meaning you're physically in the office and access that data. Some of that is for security purposes. You know, you see this in the financial sector. But when you think remote first, you should consider providing that access to both in-office and remote employees the same way. Otherwise, you're gonna create that delta with, uh, with access to information. Another way is to, to centralize your information and, and, and your communication by leveraging online document repositories and hybrid collaboration uh, technologies as well. So for example, I'm sure you've been through this before where maybe you're, you're working as part of a, a team and then you've got five people who are on-site in a conference room and you're dialed in remotely and someone's kind of writing on the whiteboard. 
by defaulting to remote first, you want to leverage things such as digital whiteboards instead of regular whiteboards, where if someone's writing on that digital whiteboard, it automatically shows up full clarity on your screen as well while you're remote, right? So, so things like that really fall under the remote first culture and making sure that you have that equitable environment. So from a big picture, wherever I'm, a, I'm connecting, whether it is across the continent or I am in literally the next office cubicle or, or conference room, that the experience is similar as far as access and what I'm seeing. And it's not the where someone puts a camera in the corner of the room, kind of aimed at 20 people and a whiteboard that's really hard to see. Like, and so the remote person has a much poorer experience. That that kind of thing of like really like, how does this show up fairly similarly for everyone who's engaging? 100%. And a quick hack to remember this is just assume everyone's remote, right? Like assume everyone you're working with is remote. That's really defaulting to remote first. You know, as, as thinking about this, um, I think you may know, Hassan, my wife, Bonnie, is a, a professor. And so, of course, higher education has been so impacted by the pandemic and how they how they traditionally have done work, because, of course, so many professors have and so many schools have done uh, in person only for for you know the history of, uh, of the school. And there is an interesting model emerging in higher education right now of um, high flex courses. And the way that they are doing it, and Bonnie has done this with the courses that she's teaching, is it's a little bit of a remote first framework where the course is designed so that a student could show up in the classroom or show up for the online version or do something independently and could elect for which option that is depending on their own situation, but also depending on what's going on currently with the pandemic and lockdowns and all that. And what ends up happening is that it's not as important, and in fact, it's almost not important at all of like where people are logistically as far as where they're doing the learning from, because the course, the experience has been designed from that from the ground up. The disadvantage is it takes a lot more time to build the course, and that's something that you know she's experienced and other folks have experienced too. But putting in that work up front, like I've seen her compared to other folks I know in higher ed who have not made that shift, it's like night and day the experience that her students are having and being able to navigate a lot of uncertainty because they're really able to connect on their terms and their situation. And the design is assuming that from the beginning. And I'm hearing you say the same thing from a leadership standpoint, like have the design of how we connect, how we interact, be thinking about the remote rather than, okay, remote's just an adjunct to what we would quote unquote traditionally do. 100%. And by the way, just as a side note, uh, absolutely no Bonnie and she's got a phenomenal podcast. Everyone should check that out. But yes, that's a perfect example of being conscious about the hybrid work model, that it's not a matter of just connecting people over Zoom or WebEx. It's really thinking from the ground up on how your employees are going to experience working together and defaulting to that model first that, hey, at any point in time, you're going to have remote employees and on-site employees, and you want to be fair and equitable to all of them so that no one has a much better experience than others is the way to go. That's how you you can be and will be successful with, with that model. So, you know, higher education is a perfect example of that. And yes, it does take effort. It does take more work. 
but the payoff is definitely worth it. Well, in the spirit of that, one of the logistical steps that you invite managers to do is conduct all meetings online. And I, I think that sometimes that's a little hard for people who are, okay, you know, most of my people are now in the office. You know, what would be like, how would I do that? Or, or why would I do that? And when you have run into that with your team, like, how are you doing that from conducting meetings online? And what does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, the key word you mentioned is most. So whenever you say most of my team is on site, that to me rings as hybrid. If you said all my team is on site, then this, you know, particular tip would probably not apply, right? When you have team members that are on site and team members that are remote, again, this falls under the same remote first culture concept we just talked about. The idea is to conduct them all online, regardless of where the employees are located. And simple best practices that apply here. For example, asking everyone to turn on their cameras and project a video feed of all the remote employees on a conference room screen to make both groups feel like they're connected. So what I mean by that, so it's not just that you're sitting in a conference room and you're looking at your screen, you're obviously going to be talking to your team members. It's a good idea to have a projector, an overhead projector with the video streams of all your remote employees, because that way it feels like they are connected in the room and they get to see who is in the conference room as well, right? So getting that sense of intimacy and cohesion is really important, particularly with meetings, which is what we spend the most of our time on. And, and hybrid arrangements or work in general. One tip I have, and this is this probably doesn't apply to every single meeting, uh, it's called a buddy system. And what how this works is you pair up an in-office buddy with a remote employee uh, to keep them informed during the meeting over instant messaging, right? So they're using uh-huh. IM and they're kind of chatting back and forth between each other, you know, th- them being remote and the others being on site. And why does that help? Well, well, it helps in a couple of ways. First of all, if a remote employee wants to speak up during a meeting, but doesn't get that chance, right? They, they can't read the, the room. They don't see the facial expressions or the body language. Then that in-office buddy would advocate on their behalf and then interrupt the meeting when appropriate, right? So they might be like, hey, you know, Janet has a question. Go ahead, Janet, and just open the mic there. Oh, nice. The second way this helps is that if the in-office buddy sees or hears something in the office that wasn't apparent to the remote employees, then they could send them a quick chat message to keep them informed, right? So it's sort of like getting a little bit of intelligence about the dynamic of the room and what's happening. Now, again, to the point I was saying earlier, a buddy pair up might not really be needed for every single meeting, but those that are really sensitive, right? The the, the high stakes meetings, then that's something you might want to consider to, again, be a, a, be fair with, with the way you conduct your meetings. This is actually reminding me of an example one of our members brought up to me this week. We were talking about managing a remote meeting and, and a hybrid meeting, and I can't remember the reason they were not able to use their conference room right now, or the technology wasn't there, or, some, or, or it was a COVID thing. I can't remember why, but she has an office suite, and so she has a bunch of people remote, but she also has some people in person. And so the way that she's been doing this, which I thought was really clever, is, I mean, you can do this regardless of your technology, was she'll have the two or three people come into her office suite because she's got space. And what they would do is they all bring their own device. So everyone's got a laptop or iPad or whatever, Mm -hmm. and everyone had their own camera on, on the device. So everyone showed up on screen as like a remote attendee. 
And then they just had a conference call line set up for everyone in that room to share the audio. But everyone was still connected as a individual on on the screen with their own device. And I thought that was super clever, like as a hack of like, you don't even need the projector and the, the fancier technology of like, you could just get people together in the same place if they're on different devices. You get that remote first mindset of a meeting. 100%. That's exactly what we're kind of talking about, which is you ensure that everyone is you know, at, at the same sort of level playing field when it comes to meetings. And that's just a, another great example of defaulting to the remote first. Another logistical thing that you encourage is to batch meetings. Uh, what's important about batching? Yeah, a couple of examples that help with that, right? So, you know, batching meetings basically means arranging them together to maximize the advantage of the team being in the office. And, you know, a couple of things here to note. First of all, batching meetings that require any team coordination, right? So face-to-face team coordination and doing that on the same day or two in the office really helps. Why does that help? Well, because if if you're going to be in the office once or twice a day, uh, twi- twice a week, I should say, I'm sorry, then by grouping them together to maximize the advantages of uh, everyone being in the office just makes sense, right? Because if you kind of have some that are remote, some of, the, some of them that are on-site, then you're going to either push some of those out a week or two and not gain, gain those advantages. You can also batch one-on-one discussions with your team members. I always love having one-on-one discussions that are in person because you can never beat that. Even though I'm a huge advocate of remote work and I have been even pre the COVID days, I think that nothing beats uh, having a social interaction with full fidelity on reading facial expressions and body language. Yeah. So having one-on-one discussions on site is, is, is great. Another example is batching your weekly or bi-weekly open office hours um, and doing those on the same day in the office too. Uh, so for example, same thing with the one-on-ones, instead of you know having one every every month, kind of saying, okay, let's just have this day dedicated uh, to one-on-one discussions and then having them scheduled back-to-back. It helps with logistics and it helps with FaceTime uh, as well. Earlier in the pandemic, I heard an episode, I think it might have been on HBR IdeaCast, and I don't remember the the person, I'll see if I can find it, but they were advocating that uh, as an organization, as an individual leader to not necessarily like, yes, do work from home, hybrid arrangements, all that, but not necessarily let people just pick whatever day they want to work from home because everyone's going to pick something different. And to be a little more intentional about what days people are showing up, what days are work from home. And the intention was behind what you just said, Hassan, it's, hey, like, let's be smart about this. Like, yeah, we all the practices we just talked about over the last few minutes of remote first meetings. And if we can get everyone together on a specific day, like we know the fidelity of that is best. We know we get the facial, you know, the body language, the facial expressions, all of that. Let's be intentional about like when that is like, let's have Tuesday be our meeting day. And that comes to what you're saying about batching is then it's less of a free for all. And it's a little bit more like, okay, let's use our time well to align in a way that's actually going to help us to maximize the schedules and the logistics around it. Definitely. Because if if you're going to have a free for all for en- anyone and everyone, then you might as well just go fully remote, right? I mean, it, it beats the purpose of having a hybrid model if you don't know when anyone's going to be in the office or everyone's on their own schedule. So 
There are different models to approach this. I know some kind of mandate a couple of weeks in the office or a couple of weeks remote and then go through, let's say, Monday through Wednesday at the office. Others go with a model which is more like, a, hey, 30% of your time on a monthly basis should be in the office. That's like six days per month. Uh, and then it's up to the manager's discretion. That works too, as long as you have those advantages of maximizing the benefit of being in the office with other team members, whether it's batching or uh, any other mechanism. You mentioned a few minutes ago the the power of the buddy system and having someone who's uh, you know in person connecting with someone remote during a meeting or an interaction. And that reminds me of something else that really strikes me as as key that you bring up in the book of being cognizant of what you call offline decisions. What's an offline decision and what's the danger there for us from a leadership standpoint? Yeah. So important decisions are sometimes made in the office, right? Without a lot of the input or approval of remote team members, right? So what usually happens, uh, and this used to happen all the time, even pre the COVID days, right? So you'd have maybe five people as part of a team, three happen to be in the office and two happen to be remote. And then those three people get to talking about the, the project that everyone's working on and they make some decisions to move forward without informing uh, the other two, right? They, they're in the dark about it, or they find out when it's too late before they can actually add any input or you know, give, give their insights into that. This happens with small decisions as well as big decisions, unfortunately. So with a hybrid team environment, it's just a, a ripe environment for that to happen over and over. And what you need to be cognizant of as a leader is to set guidelines and protocols that help keep remote employees informed and included in offline decisions. And the way you do that, again, goes back to the remote first culture, is by using a common tool for documenting and approving decisions, uh, and then also encouraging through education, inclusion among the team by asking them to follow up on any decisions, right? So meaning when you use a tool for decisions, it could be any, any tool you use, pick your choice, and then make sure that, hey, any decision we make, whether it's small or big about the, the progress on this project needs to be documented in this system. Now you get the additional visibility from everyone on the team. But then the, the, the two-pronged approach or the second part of that prong is you also educate everyone on the fact that this happens, right? That you, you got three team members, usually they get to make a decision and you have to make sure that you're inclusive of your remote team members because they might not be fully aware of that as well. I had a member who prior to the pandemic, they had they were a traditionally co-located team and they had one person that moved a significant distance and all of a sudden became a remote employee. And I remember her telling me that the, the biggest thing that she ran into as an issue when that transition happened was exactly this, of conversations would happen, decisions would happen that they were really not intentionally, not including this person, but they were just used to making in the hallway after a meeting or after a client interaction. And the biggest shift she found she had to make was to, in that moment when she heard that conversation starting, is to sort of like say out loud to everyone, like, hey, so-and-so needs to be part of this as well, too. And and in, in the situations where they did need to decide something, like have a system, like you just said, of like getting that notice to that person, like, oh, we just decided, we just happened to decide this this morning. Do you have any input or FYI or whatever needed to be? 
And once they got that down, then it worked way better. But it was it was it's a really easy thing to miss, isn't it? Absolutely. And I love that example because it's it also helps remind the team. So when you encourage team members to speak up when they feel like someone's left out, it actually becomes better over time because, you know, everyone will be a little bit more cognizant of that as well. Near the end of the book, you talk about success factors and KPIs. And I, I suppose this, you know, KPIs and, and metrics aren't necessarily a hybrid topic. I mean, that's something we should be doing for our teams, regardless of, of venue and situation, right? And, and yet, I do still run into just about every week, one of our members or listeners messages me, we're having a conversation and says, you know, here we are, you know, two plus years past the pandemic. And Still, there's a whole bunch of senior leaders in the world uh, in organizations who say, we need to be back 100% in person. There's no other way to do it. Every, anything else would be a sub-tier experience. And I think this is probably more important now than ever to be really clear on what KPIs and success factors look like in order to make sure that you really are hitting the things in a remote or a hybrid world as before, but also to really you know, to be cognizant of folks in the organization who may not have that same view, right? Yeah, definitely. And 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 I fully agree that there's a lot more CEOs and leaders that are pushing for that. And you need to have and implement an evaluation strategy, right? You need to know whether this is working or not before making any drastic decisions. Because one of the big risk factors that we see is that Given that, given that remote employees got a taste of how it feels like during COVID, everyone now understands that their productivity can increase while having a better work-life balance. So what this is causing is a huge risk with talent attrition, right? So if a company is really pushing hard for having employees go back to the office, a lot of them are saying, well, I've got skills where I can, I can leverage those and still have the work-life balance and partially remote type arrangement with another company. So, you know, I would caution against initially pushing hard for that before understanding the the consequences of it. The second, you know, to to answer your point about an evaluation strategy and and, and KPIs, you know, a couple of things I do want to mention up front is that, you know, measuring and evaluating the performance of a hybrid team is complex, right? It's not easy. You can't just take something off the shelf and implement it, and then you cannot understand how it works. And as a matter of fact, measuring regular performance in any organization is not a straightforward exercise, right? The good news though, is that with an evaluation strategy or a performance measurement system, it doesn't really have to change. So if you have an organization, you have already a a system in place, there's nothing really special about hybrid teams. What's really different between hybrid and traditional teams is where and when employees get their work done, right? So there might be some metrics you need to think about and reassess, but for the most part, that stays the same. Uh, thank you so much for all this, Hassan. We, we've covered a lot of ground in the in the last little bit. Um, there's a ton more in the book uh, on the architecture of putting together a hybrid team, expectations, frameworks, um, a, a lot for folks to dive into. And as I mentioned up front, uh, the thing that I really appreciate about all your books is you can really get the message and read through it in 45 minutes to an hour and a ton of resources available with it. So I hope folks will utilize that if they found this conversation helpful. And I want to ask you one other question. Uh, You and I last talked on the show before the pandemic. A lot has changed, of course, in the last two years, as we mentioned earlier. I'm curious, 
as you've been going through this yourself, not only as a author in writing books for leaders, but also yourself as the director in a large organization in managing a team. What's something that you've changed your mind on during this time? Yeah, I love that question. I think if I were to pick one word, that would be empathy. I think, you know, the the couple of years of, of COVID, and I think this applies to any leader in any organization, I think the the importance of being an empathetic leader became more and more important for leading effectively, right? Understanding that people went through a, a horrible ordeal and, you know, granted that everyone kind of went through different stages, different levels of, of impact from this thing. So understanding that people have their, their personal lives that matter a lot and connecting with people at that level, really understanding what they need to be motivated, what they need to be more effective at their jobs, and then what they need on a personal level for you to support them as a business leader. And I think it was a wake-up call, right? When you're faced with, uh, with death, that's a, that's a shock to the system. And it just made, uh, I think, a lot of leaders understand the value of connecting with people as people. Hassan Osman is the author of Hybrid Work Management, How to Manage a Hybrid Team in the New Workplace. Hassan, always grateful for your work. Thanks for being here. Likewise, Dave. Thank you so much. Of course, a hybrid format isn't right for every team. I'm thinking about leaders in healthcare and education and manufacturing, where being co-located is still often the best way to do work and to serve others. And yet, even in those places, I am seeing so many leaders begin to utilize some of these principles and, in many cases, embrace them to start to do a better job of being flexible, of communicating with other stakeholders, of serving customers and patients and donors well. Uh, Regardless of what industry you're in, I encourage you to take one step from this conversation to find something that'll help you and your organization adapt well going forward. Speaking of being adaptable, Hassan mentioned to me during our conversation that uh, in addition to the book, there's also a Udemy course he has put together with all of the same content format uh, and resources available. So if you're the type that prefers a course over a book and are looking for a little more detail, I'm putting a link to that in the episode notes. And of course, it'll be in this week's weekly leadership guide as well. Thank you, Hassan, as always, for your support of our community. Several related episodes that might also be helpful to you. Speaking of Hassan's support over time, one of the last episodes he was on was episode 413, Effective Delegation of Authority. In that conversation, Hassan and I looked at some of the key principles around delegation, how you can do a better job as a manager, the right mindset to have, and also some of the common pitfalls. I probably hear from someone just about every week on that episode and how useful it was to them in being able to frame delegation better. It is something that is a constant struggle. I think more than any other topic, this comes up to me in questions within our academy community uh, from listeners of how do I get better at delegating well and how do I avoid some of the common pitfalls. Episode 413 is a great starting point for that. I'd also recommend episode 509, Transitioning to Remote Leadership. Tammy Bellin was my guest on that episode. Her firm helps organizations to make that transition from co-located teams to working remote and working in a hybrid environment. A ton of principles in that conversation that complement what we talked about today well, especially if you find yourself 
making some of those transitions now for the first time, or maybe formalizing a bit of what you've already been doing in practice for a while, but haven't really figured out the framework and the expectations and documenting things. Episode 509 is helpful for that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 537, How to Engage Remote Teams. Sadal Neely was my guest on that episode. She is absolutely an expert on this, been doing research for years on how remote teams can work effectively. Tons of resources in that conversation on how to engage teams. And that episode was recently mentioned in Inc. Magazine by one of our listeners, Katie Burke. Thank you, Katie, for that kind mention. Episode 537 to really dive in on Sadal's wisdom. And actually, I have one additional recommendation. Uh, One of the episodes on Bonnie's podcast, Teaching in Higher Ed, which is aimed at faculty and colleges and universities to help them to become more effective teachers. She recently had David Rhodes on talking about high-flex learning. Many faculty members at colleges and universities are now starting to design courses that are adaptable in a way that whether a student shows up in person or shows up online or does a little bit of both throughout the semester, that the course can adapt to them and designing courses in such a way that that works. Obviously been a huge need for that in the last two years. It takes more work on the front end, but it really does help the students and the people they're serving to do so much better as the environment changes around them. I was thinking about that in the context of managing a team. Wouldn't it be great to get to a place as a manager who's running a regular meeting where you didn't know until the meeting started who was going to be in person or who was going to be online, which I know is the reality today in many places, but that regardless of how people showed up, the meeting was just as effective because of the framework, because of the design, because of the technology and the expectations. The episode on high flex learning on teaching in higher ed, I think would be some great inspiration for that, especially if you happen to be in education. All of those you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to a ton of benefits inside of the website, including my own personal library, all of my book notes and interview notes. Hassan's are there for this episode as well. And one of the key benefits of free membership is access to the entire library of episodes since 2011, searchable by topic. You can, of course, find all of those episodes on all the public directories and podcast apps and listen chronologically. And I know many of you like to do that. And I think it's really helpful to be able to, in addition to that, look at the library from a lens of topic. So if you're struggling with something right now around management skills or maybe team leadership or difficult conversations or how to look better and look inward at yourself as as personal leadership and, and get more effective, all of those are topic areas inside of the episode library. When you set up your free membership, just go over to episodes you'll see a place where you can search by topic. That's my go-to place when I'm making recommendations each week to you here at the end of episodes on related episodes. That's often where I begin is right there inside the free membership myself. Uh, Join us there by going over to coachingforleaders.com, setting up your free membership, and you'll be off and running with the rest of us on uh, supporting you on your listening. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Cassandra Worthy to the show. She is going to be helping us to engage people through change. Of course, a closely related topic to making this shift to the hybrid work environment. Join me for that conversation with Cassandra and see you next Monday. Take care.